yeah. What's going on, everybody? It's the Brooklyn Paper Radio, back and better than ever. Zeke Welb. You said it, Johnny. We are back, and, you know, we've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back, and we are going to give our listeners the rundown of what's going on in Brooklyn. That's right. That is your editor and chief of the Brooklyn Paper, prestige to the max. We also have Kevin Duggan, reporter, beat reporter. Reporter extraordinaire. Hello. And Rose Adams. Hello, hello. Also reporter extraordinaire. Yes, very much so. Rose is new to the staff, and we're happy to have her. And, uh, you know, Rose, this is your chance to introduce yourself to our Brooklyn Paper Radio listeners. The whole world is watching. Hello, I'm a new reporter covering South Brooklyn, so Coney Island, Sunset Park, everything in between, essentially. And, yeah, I've been having a really fun time. Nice. Well, awesome. We're going to start with Kevin Duggan. Yes. Um, Kevin, we would love for you to speak about uh, Borough President Adams' recent uh, recommendation regarding the Borough Jails Plan. And also, we'll have you talk a little bit about the recent spike in cyclist deaths uh, throughout the city, but especially in Brooklyn. So uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, So whenever you're ready, uh, let it roll. Yes, yeah, so uh, Borough President Adams uh, released his recommendation on Mayor Bill de Blasio's Borough Jails Plan, which has um, is this like wide-ranging uh, plan to close down Rikers um, Island uh, jail complex by 2026 and move uh, the people jailed there to four borough-based jails in all boroughs but Staten Island. And it's currently going through the land use uh, review uh, process of the city and um, borough president uh, gave his recommendation which was basically that the jail should be <clears throat> larger than the jail which would be at Atlantic Avenue at the house of detention where the current house of detention is in Burham Hill um, that's where the Brooklyn jail would be and um, borough president Adams uh, proposed that the new jail should be slightly bigger but not quite as big uh, as the city had proposed. Is this the one on Atlantic Avenue? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's... you close Rikers, transition to that one, slash make it bigger? Is that the plan? Yeah, so the plan is, is to put, um, you know, is to rebuild a larger jail at the site of the Atlantic Avenue jail, the House of Detention, um, to house the inmates that will be coming from Rikers Island, the Brooklyn-based inmates, and the Staten Island ones as well. So the ones that won't be going to... The, any Staten Island facility are, will be coming to the Brooklyn facility. Do we know how much bigger? Yeah, so it's roughly, um, the current building is uh, is about 11 stories, and uh, the original plan was about 40 stories, so a big one. Um, and they were going to up the amount of bed space from um, current around 815 beds to... Uh, just over 1,400 beds. They've brought it down to 1,100 beds. This is the city's proposal. Um, And Eric Adams has asked for no more than 900 beds and for it to be, um, you know, roughly half of, uh, not not quite half of what the city's proposing. So still larger. Would this mean knocking down the current one and then just rebuilding a whole bigger one? Yeah, because it's not just about size. There's also all kinds of other things that they want. They want to make it a a better jail, so to speak. So they want to add space for... This is the city. They want to add space for retail and community space on the ground floor and just have a better jail with, I guess, you know, better facilities for for the people that are 
incarcerated there than what is currently Atlantic Avenue. Now, this has been a pretty controversial topic, uh, you know, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so can you kind of give a little bit of background as to what the community is saying about this plan? Right. So the first community, the first official community input as part of the land, uh, the land use review process came through the community board. Uh, the local community board was community board two, which covers downtown and Burm Hill and those areas. Um, and the review process is for all four borough jails, but at the same time, um, it's for all four at the same time, but at the same time, every community has to give their input. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of broad sweeping, but at the same time, they try to, uh, get as much details as they can about their individual jails. So the people in Brooklyn want to pretty much only know about what's happening in Brooklyn for the most part. I mean, that's a broad statement, but they really care most about what's happening in their backyard. So... You know, there's been a lot of criticism, <clears throat> sorry, criticism mostly about the size of the thing. Um, you know, 40 stories is a big building. Um, some fear that, you know, if you're going to build a bigger jail uh, in Burham Hill, you know, it's going to be filled with more uh, people, uh, jail people, even though currently the trend is going down. So, you know, the incarcerated population on Rikers is decreasing uh, and will probably decrease more with criminal justice um reform in at, at the state level so that was one criticism and then also just um the culture of the of, of rikers island people were kind of a lot of people were wary that the culture of especially the corrections uh staff um you know which has drawn some scandals over the years would be transferred to the house of detention as well um and just it it goes all the all the way to the larger questions about criminal justice in this country, you know. Um, as some drew the comparison to the um, the federal prison in Sunset Park, which lost heat during last winter, uh, even though that's a federal prison, so it's different level of government. But at the same time, they say you know this that is a jail that was in the borough, and at the same time, it could have bad things happen like that as well. So. Yeah, I can think of only one only one positive is it's a little bit easier to get here to see your family, but yeah, that's the main idea is to bring it closer to the courts. Right. Um which is a big deal because it takes it's basically a day trip for families or lawyers to get out to Rikers Island. So, you know, for them to be able to visit their clients or their relatives in Burham Hill is a big that is a big difference. So, that is what the main argument is and also just to kind of rather than have like an out of sight Right, incarceration complex on an island. You know, have it in your community, so you have to deal with. Forty stories is pretty gigantic, though. Yeah, they've already kind of the the city has already brought it down a bit as in what they've talked about. They talked about you know thirty nine, thirty eight. Like it's kind of it's not a clear number. That's just their initial application. But like I said, they've already brought it back down from fourteen hundred beds to eleven hundred. So I imagine you know it. Their proposition is already shrinking as we as we speak, pretty much. So you know. So what's the next step then with this plan? What has to happen next as we move forward? Yeah, so it's still making its way through that review process. Um, both, So the, the borough president and the community board gave their votes or their recommendations on this um, prison, which the community board uh, voted to reject it. So did the borough president, he voted to, well, he accepted the plan to move the jail to the borough, but rejected all the like details, like the size and the amount of people. Um Next, it goes, uh, those two votes are purely advisory. So, you know, they're kind of symbolic in a way. Next, it moves on to the Department of City Planning, who uh, which has formed a 13-person panel. 
which held a hearing last week, a lengthy hearing. I think it was, you know, like several hours in Manhattan for all four jails. Um, and they will vote within the next slightly less than 60 days. Um, and that vote is a binding vote um, before it moves on to city council where the city council will vote on it. And that is also a binding vote. Um, and there, you know, what will be very important is the the vote of the local councillors that are affected. So in our case, Stephen Levin, who has voiced his support for the project in general before. Well, we will look to you for more information on this. I want to take the ball and pass it to Rose because this obviously is going to take some public money to create this giant jail. And Rose, you're talking about, uh, well, I'll let you introduce it, but something that could also use some public money. So Rose, what are you here to discuss, please? So recently, a Bensonhurst food pantry uh, called Reaching Out said that it has to turn away families now because of a funding shortage. Basically, they've had so many people come in in the last few years that even though their their budget hasn't increased, they've been stretched so thin that they can't uh, afford to have any more people register for their food pantry or for any of their services. So um, that's sort of a crisis that's happening in Bensonhurst. And they say, actually, Thomas Neve, who's the founder of the uh, organization that's run it, he's run it since 1989. He says that if they don't get more funding by September, they'll have to start cutting some of their 9,800 registered families. That's how desperate the, the situation has gotten. I read your piece, and you talked about um, the food pantry actually doing other things than just providing food. Uh, what, what else do they provide? So before these... Um, these sort of issues with funds. They had uh, different tax assistance programs. They helped uh, they helped residents sign up for for government programs for food stamps. They uh, uh, offered elderly services programs for for um, retired people in the neighborhood. And um, yeah, most of their most of their services had to do with getting locals connected to different funds. They also had a homeless. Uh, homeless outreach program. So basically teaching people who didn't really know how to work uh, or had doubts or questions about working like different systems and filling out forms, giving them help to do that. But since the funding shortage, they've had to cut a lot of those programs. They still offer a few like the homeless outreach and the tax assistance and the food stamp assistance, but they've cut all their elderly service programs. Gotcha. Well, so are any of the people who are talking about bringing money in to build a giant prison the same people who you would talk to about getting money to food pantries? I'm not totally sure. I mean, I know the city council is is looking at more funding to give uh, the the um, reaching out, the, the food pantry. But And there is actually some money set aside for the food pantry initiative grant. And they're looking at also don- donations from a ton of foundations, local foundations, or they're trying to get those. But they've struggled to secure a lot of funding or meaningful donations or grants from really anyone, including the city council. And what can Brooklyn residents or Bensonhurst residents specifically, what can they do to maybe help out? Um, can they donate or can they uh, give money or anything like that? What, what can the people do to help keep this place alive? The people can do two things. They can either donate and any amount is good. Thomas, the, um, the founder of the, of the program, said that if all of his Facebook friends gave $1 a month, that would actually cover a lot of their costs. So that is a huge, that would be a huge benefit. He sounds popular on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, he must have a lot of friends. Uh, 
but they could also write to their city council people and urge them to donate more money. And I will say that um, recently, just last week, uh, Councilman Justin Justin Brennan uh, pledged $124,500. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. That's right. He uh, pledged that uh, donation to reaching out, but you know they won't get it till November, and it has to be approved. So it's it's not like an immediate um, it's not immediate money in their pocket, but you know it's definitely getting on people's radars, and they're they're uh, trying to reach their goal. According to Thomas, they need about uh, $450,000 a year to cover just their basic food pantry costs. They have two employees, and their rent is. Forty-eight thousand dollars a year. So with all of that, um, it, it's it's expensive. It's expensive to run a food pantry. Yeah, absolutely. The rent, man. Yeah, it kills it's you. Too damn high. It's <laughs> too damn high. Well, so uh, back to K Doug. Um, you have another story to discuss here. Yeah, um, the a big issue as well uh, across the city, but Brooklyn is affected. The most at the moment is the amount of cyclists that have been killed by motorists on our streets. Um, we're at 15 uh, cyclists that have died so far this year, compared to uh, 10 during all of last year. Now, mind you, that 10 figure is a record low for the city, but still, you know, Mayor de Blasio's plan on the whole Vision Zero coming down to zero deaths by, I think, 2024. Um, you know, it doesn't look very good um, when the cyclist deaths increase at such an alarming rate, especially we had <clears throat> uh, at the end of June, beginning of July, we had a seven so week period where there was three people killed in one seven day period, uh, one bike messenger in Manhattan. And then we had um, uh, Ernest Askew in Brownsville, followed by uh, Deborah Freelander in, in um, Williamsburg. Uh, so, you know, there's been that has drawn a lot of attention to what could be done better to make the streets safer. Um, there's a, a host of bills that several different council members and, and speaker Corey Johnson have proposed, including making more bike lanes, making junctions uh, more visible by not having cars parked right up at the junction. Um, you know, more sp speed cameras or more enforcement. Um, the mayor has since said he would step up enforcement for a, a three week blitz by the nypd to ticket drivers uh who are either standing or parked in, in a bike lane or you know are doing the main kind of things that they're accused of doing but it's kind of it remains to be seen how effective that is at i the just want to say I, i'm i don't want bikers to be in danger but the idea of a three-week blitz uh, about giving out a ton of tickets also kind of frightens me as a person who drives occasionally right the the blitz of tickets is something that you know I want to talk from the from the driver's standpoint, right. who are, are really not <laughs> yeah. trying to hit any bikers. Also, don't want to be blitzed uh, for you know whatever yeah. the, the all out blitz here. Well, don't be in the bike lane. That's one way. <laughs> sure, of course, of course. Yeah, it's one mean, way you'll avoid that. I mean, th that's the fascinating thing with this is that all the cyclists think that it's motorists' fault and vice versa. So you know, I'm not. We're not trying to play the blame game here, but. How do we come up with a solution that makes makes it right for both parties? You know, right. where what's what do you think the ideal solution is to make it so that cyclists, you know, are staying in their lane and they're not getting hit, and drivers, same thing, they're not 
you know, they're just following the rules. Is it that simple? Is it just that everybody just needs to follow the rules and then things will, will get better? Or is there more to it than that? No, I mean, there's a large discussion to be had about this, but I don't think it's just follow the rules or, you know, enforce this, enforce that. The main thing I think is having better infrastructure for bikers because at the end of the day, bikers are just more vulnerable. Like right. you, you might have the same amount of bad behavior on both sides, but, you know, one person is driving a multiple ton vehicle and there's a couple of pounds of a bike. So it's just, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you hear from both sides, oh, you know, cars do this, bikes do this, but bikes are just way more vulnerable. So I think this is kind of more my editorializing um, that it's just it's going to have to be bike infrastructure and that means um, protected bike lanes and properly protected bike lanes not just a piece of paint on the ground so right. actual physical infrastructure um, I, I like full disclosure I am also a cyclist so you know I, I see these things firsthand um, but you just see other jurisdictions or other countries where they they implement this stuff and accidents just go way down so that's gonna that's what's gonna happen at the end of the day and a lot of cases have been with um you know trucks and larger vehicles have been involved like uh dever freelander in in williamsburg that was a cement truck uh the site the bike messenger in manhattan i think there was some sort of larger vehicle as well uh they have very poor they often have a large blind spots um so having these big trucks go through regular streets rather than like designated routes you know just increases the risk of um these kind of uh incidents so i think it's uh it's it's a it's a policy um decision obviously behavior needs to change to a degree as well but i think a lot of like speaking from my own perspective i think a lot of cyclists feel like if the infrastructure isn't there for them they feel less of a need to adhere to the rules sometimes because they feel like you know it's not built for me so why should i fully obey the law and you also i mean i'm not saying don't obey the law but like i do see in, in other places where there are a lot more bike lanes people tend to drive way more safer slower and respectfully than in like lawless large bike lane free streets i saw something about garbage trucks getting a like a side shield built on them between okay. the wheels so that people couldn't uh maybe bike into it and then get pulled under the truck did you hear anything about that uh i haven't heard that so that's a, sh a shield on, on the side of the truck yeah between the wheels uh, okay. i oh. i thought <laughs> i saw this maybe right. not um yeah i mean i could i'm you know it's it's one of those things where um I know. I just think it's you know you can build as many things as you want onto a big car, but at the end of the day, they should just be kept physically separate from right, vulnerable traffic users. Rose, did you have an opinion on the bike lanes and bikers and trucks? It's. I don't know if I have a, a strong opinion that's different than what's been said, but it is interesting to see, especially on our website, how hot a topic this is. Um, people feel so strongly. And I, I mean, I understand the bike perspective of why bicyclists feel strongly because, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to be biking in dangerous territory, but I'm surprised by all the, the motorists that are, you know, feel attacked by this whole, this whole issue. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it just says how important it is and how important infrastructure is. Uh, and maybe even, you know, public outreach too. And, you know, letting, letting people that don't like cycle recent or ride their bicycles often know how you know how useful bike lanes and good infrastructure is and how how that's a really important way for the budget to be spent and bottom line is that too many people are dying and there needs to be a, a better solution to keep these cyclists alive whether you know whether it's implementing more protected bike lanes 
whatever the solution is, the city's got to come up with something because, you know, it's, it's such an alarming rate that we've already, uh, you know, had 15 cyclists killed already. And we're just, you know, in the middle of July, there's a, a lot of 2019 left to go around. And if we can keep this number at 15, that's obviously a huge win. But in order to do that, something has to change. So, you know, we're, we're hoping that something will happen sooner rather than later. And we will be covering it with our amazing reporters, K. Doug, Rose Adams. Thank you both. Uh, I think we're going to bring in the Honorable Bill Roundy next. Yes, sir. Yeah. To Bill, discuss uh, what to do and where to do it. Thank you both. We'll see you next time. See you. And, of course, we're going commercial-free here on the of Brooklyn course, Paper Radio. Zach, what a day to be alive, man. Right? We are back. I, I'm so happy we were finally able to, to uh, spring back into action. It's been a long time coming, and, uh, you know, we, we missed you guys. You know, we, we want to we wanna be there for you. We want to deliver the news to you. And, uh, you know, we, 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 really miss, uh, uh, we really miss the show. So we're happy to be back and... Uh, you know, we we encourage everyone to uh, to who who listens. You know, to keep following us online for all of our breaking stories, for all of our our uh, art stories as well. You know, we we've got you covered, and I think it's that simple. Yeah, and bear with us on the sound quality. We we're a little bit of a work in progress putting this thing together, but you know, by week two, week three, we're going to be sounding crisper than ever. And speaking of crisper than ever, the honorable. The I, I didn't realize that was my honorific now. The, the you know the man the, with the plan, where to go, how to do it, Bill Roundy, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Hello, everybody. It is great to see you guys again. It's great to have you back, sir. We're we're the show Brooklyn Paper Radio is getting younger and faster and better at swimming, and so we have taken the Bill Roundy segment and narrowed it down to three things to do this week, and you are just the guy to tell us what they are. Just the three things. Nothing else matters. That's exactly right. <laughs> so I've, said, I've lined up a couple of items for, for our listeners' weekends. Okay. Coming so, up. Starting off on Friday night, it's time to go out and party. Okay. Uh, and the best place to do that, the most lively place, obviously, in Brooklyn is Greenwood Cemetery. Oh, are we going to Greenwood on Friday night? Yes. Uh, hanging out among the tombstones. Do tell. What's uh, happening there? Uh, Rooftop Films has a regular film series that happens inside the graveyard. No kidding. Uh, just sort of inside the gates. Uh, they put, a, put up a big inflatable screen, and there's going to be... Uh, it's a documentary uh, on the Pine Barrens, the sort of creepy, weird, uh, swampy area I in New Jersey. I saw like a six-foot snake there the last time I was there. Well, Pine it's the Barrens. home of the Jersey Devil, so That's... you got off lightly. <laughs> That's what they say. Uh, and there's going to be a live orchestra called the Ruins of Friendship Orchestra providing a, a soundtrack. And is then, there drinks to be drank? Yes, there are. Wow. Because the event is sponsored by uh, Kettle One Vodka and Corona. How so about that? after the screening, there's a little dance party over by the tombs. And, uh, That's not disrespectful, right? No, no. You're, you're in the parking lot. Area. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, I just want to say Greenwood Cemetery is an awesome place to hang out. Uh, I mean, just on a regular day, if it's not 100 degrees out, you know, oh, 70 beautiful. degrees out. It's beautiful. It's like being in a park with nobody else there. At it's least that's an amazing lot. views. It's beautiful. You know, one of the biggest hills in Brooklyn. I saw like a gopher. I've seen giant birds. It's uh, a wildlife sanctuary. They're, uh, they're bees. 
There are bees. What is they they uh, get honey down there? So much to go and explore. Yeah, it's a great it's a great place to go. So you know, don't be freaked out that there's a lot of dead people there. It's really an awesome place to go. What else we got this week? All right, on Saturday night, uh, down in Manhattan Beach, all the way on the edge at uh, Kingsborough College, they're doing a whole series of jazz nights called Hot Summer Nights. Uh, it's free. It's outdoors. And on Saturday night at eight, it's going to be Davina and the Vagabonds. Sounds like a hell of a show. It's uh, they're a lot of fun. Uh, she's got a great voice, and they do this sort of 1920s, 1930s jazz, but it's all original songs. So it's sort of contemporary songs where she's referencing, you know, hanging up on someone on her cell phone, <laughs> but she's doing it in a jazzy. That sounds great. Can you the location style. once more? Uh, that's at uh, Kingsborough College in oh, Manhattan okay. Beach. Uh, now the if you just go up. To the college, there's a gate. There will be someone there with signs who can direct you. And it's a free outdoor show. That sounds Hanging awesome. Hanging out by the lighthouse. You can see the water. All right. This looks Great. like a lot of fun. Two down, one to go. All right. Sunday afternoon, uh, this is something you can do with the kids. Uh, gallery Players, uh, Park Slope's own uh, theater company. It's been around for at least 40 years, and it might be 50. I should probably check. Um, but, yes, they're doing The Tempest. Uh, William Shakespeare's final play, uh, and they're doing it as, more as a romance. Now, I heard Shakespeare was actually a collect, uh, like a collective of writers, and there was not actually one Shakespeare. <laughs> that is a filthy lie. <laughs> okay. Spre- spread by uh, by snobs who don't believe that the son of a glove maker could actually write about kings and queens. Thank you for clearing that up. Although he did some collaborations. Okay. Uh, but The Tempest is the last one that he definitely wrote by himself. I um, won't argue it. Uh, but that's at 3 o'clock. Um, it's a family-friendly show. They've got a whole chorus. Uh, it's filled with sort of music and magical spirits. So they got a chorus of local kids to come in, and they actually seem very creepy because they're all wearing masks. All right. Um, but it really lends uh, the show um, a sort of otherworldly air that uh, makes it a lot of fun. Sounds amazing. So those are your three things to do. Uh, we will put links in the bio of the show. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and you can always check brooklynpaper.com for our, our full calendar of events. And on Fridays, you know, we have our editor's picks as well, where Bill uh, lets lets you guys know the, the top five things to do in the week ahead. So we'll see uh, what, what's on the list for next week. Yeah, keep tuning in, hearing Bill. Bill's going to tell you where to go and how to do all the fun things you want to do. You can't keep me away. That's right. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, Z Gwelb. Yes, sir. Before we check out, I just want to say, going forward, we may be a voice, not the voice, but a voice of the Brooklyn Nets. An yes. opinion on the Brooklyn Nets. Absolutely. Uh, I also want to get a little bit of Brooklyn Cyclones going. Definitely. Not yeah. a lot, but a little. No, it's summertime. That's what the Cyclones are here for. So uh, we'll, we'll be giving you guys some Cyclones, cyclones news uh, around around the summer it's already in the works believe it or not i've already put some feelers out that's great all right let me play the outro and get us out yo bill one last thought before we close the show i don't have thoughts that's my policy zach guys we're thrilled to be back and we will uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening can't wait peace out brooklyn great.